So what is it that you do? So I'm scouting. I'm uh, looking for new technologies, startups, new tech that uh, can help us, our company in Switzerland. Oh, okay. Looking to, for talented entrepreneurs. Uh, and me focusing on a security field, cybersecurity. Which is something that we all could use a little cleansing on, right? Yeah, we, we, we really need. And uh, new kick now with AI, is, uh, it's the next level. So we're looking very aggressively into securing the, the space with uh, AI, which is, has very different aspects, right? One is how to use it properly, and then for us, and then how to defend against it when the bad guys are using it. Absolutely. Yeah, because you have to be, even though you're trying to be 10 steps ahead, they're already probably ahead of that in a security measure. So how, like, what are some of the things that you're navigating against to, to achieve that? Like, are you coming up against people that are outpacing you that are malicious? Yeah, so typically the bad guys make a first move and the good guys are trying to figure it out, right? Pick up the pieces. Yeah, and, and that's a known kind of uh, way that things work. What people are, people are realizing now in AI early, that that's the case, and try to be more proactive, and really look at the, all the dangers or all the threats that are coming. So I hope that this time we are faster. There are some indications but there are also a lot of uh, ethics regulation that kind of slow down certain things on the defensive side, right? Um, making sure that we playing defense do not uh, build some things that the offense can kind of, uh, you know, misuse. Right. So that, that's, that's really interesting. I think that uh, we're really early but the companies, so basically you have two, two ways. I say, this is a risk for my company, I'm, I'm not gonna use it, and then you're missing out on opportunity, right? Sure. Or you say, well, I'm gonna take an opportunity and you're running certain risks. So the most of the companies are thinking now is like, okay, I wanna take advantage of the technology, start using, but how do I at least reduce the risk, not to run the full risk? So there are some interesting companies in the space that basically play kind of uh, firewalls for AI, right? They they kind of make sure that some PII, some so personal identifiable uh, information, is not leaving the the, the company, okay. right? And their customers are protected. So uh, interesting stuff. We wrote uh, actually in our company we wrote a thing called Tokenizer. We call it tokenizer, which is basically if you, you want to ask GPT something and there is Ron and Dushan are in their names with company XYZ, right? What it does before it sends it to ChatGPT, it switches, it says person one, person two, company organization one, organization two, sends it over, gets it back, and then replaces so you have again the... And there are some even open source libraries for that. And yeah, really, that's, I was actually yeah. talking to somebody earlier today about editing podcasts and one of the editing tools that they were using also has that type of capability where it would give person one person two and then you could go in there and name them if you wanted to cut things out um, so it's interesting that's maybe one of the infancy stages of that type of technology yeah and i think 
that's the right right thing to do. Try out, not to build like we. Sometimes we tend to do to build the perfect solutions before we use them, right? So yes. and then we until we perfect them, it's the next cycle of the technology. So uh, like using the version. 0.6.7 is more than a good in that early stage than waiting for 1.0, right? Yeah. So sometimes we we the pursuit of perfection stands in the pursuit of progress. Very very much of the time. Um, and yeah, man. I can only imagine just from a security standpoint. Do you know anything about the new ledger and the new uh, I think it's called ledger sign or something where they're able to give the password out to three different bodies are you familiar with this I've heard but I didn't look at it I, I heard from some colleagues that uh, they're kind of not happy with the development because it's breaking some uh, fundamental crypt cryptologic ideas in uh, keeping secrets but uh, I don't want to make no statements uh, because <laughs> I haven't looked at it myself I yeah. just I just heard a few things and uh, I think on Monday when weekend is over, I'm yeah. gonna dig Dive into in it. Bit. Yeah, because I think it, uh, I can imagine. I mean, Ledger is a company that looks uh, very strongly into usability, and it's very yeah. important for them. And uh, for sure. I can imagine that they would make some move, uh, making it easier for users. But I think uh, at this stage, it cannot be at cost of security. Uh, but I don't want to say something that's wrong here. So. Yeah, no, yeah. I totally understand the trepidation. And, and whenever I was on the spaces the other day with, they were going through the technology and they said, listen, you can opt in or you don't have to. You know, it's, it's your choice. If you do opt in, though, it's cryptographically sent out to three different bodies and only a piece of each one is given to and then they put it back together and give it back to you. Yeah, that's. I, I wonder what did they use as a technology. They just use a classic cryptology, cryptological uh, functions that they can uh, uh, kind of break it and put it together. Or they're using multi-party computation, yeah. which is a new thing, right? Okay. It's different. It's being used a lot in the crypto space now, even in a, in a let's say in Web two space as well for uh, some key management on the on the clouds especially yeah. and that's why I want to really look into it to see how did they solve it technically to to uh, but yeah uh, being uh, for a while in the security space and also looking at cryptology not being mathematician right but uh, it's it's always the challenge is always the private key like someone has to have a private key and then that's the whole that whole point and when you want to go direction usability you need kind of a key recovery and as soon as you have key recovery then you open vulnerabilities that are not at the the key level of the user like yeah. you have it at some other sources right so yep. and and that's the centralistic approach trying to help user let me handle your keys and if you lose it I can recover it right so but that yeah. means that if I can recover someone else can recover it and that uh, someone else is unfortunately normally the malicious actor. And, and that's uh, the vulnerability is what I'm seeing in that, that scenario. Yeah. And that's something that I think, I think it was Amazon. They're providing a service for businesses that they'll store all of your customers' keys for you. That way they're not, it's, it's their responsibility type of thing. Yeah. And I was like, that's even kind of hairy in my opinion. It's difficult. I mean, the, well, if you're encrypting something 
and you want to use application, you need that key. Because application needs the key, right? Yeah. And that's so, so data in use uh, is, can almost not be encrypted. There are some ways now with confidential computing and some other approaches, but generally you can, when you store data, data at rest, right, you, you can encrypt it, that's not a problem. But at some point, when application needs the data, needs to decrypt it, so question is, where is the key? Like, application needs it. Who is accessing? So the uh, AWS has something called key management system where yeah. they manage the keys for you. And you have different options. You can have their own keys. You can have your key, like their keys. You can have your keys. And then it can bring your key. But it doesn't protect from, even if you bring your own key, it doesn't protect you from them having that key. It protects you if they kind of say, well, you cannot have... You can't have access they break, to it. They break the key or whatever, they mess up, you get that encrypted data. You still have a key to encrypt it on your... Yeah. yeah. So it's more availability thing than confidentiality thing. Normally we look in encryption for yeah. uh, confidentiality, right? Protection. And that's... Uh, and, and, and the challenge is like you need to have it present. And we did not find, there is so-called hardware secure modules, like HSMs, okay. which store the keys, and you can have them even on your premise, and then your data in AWS on another cloud, and then you will be pulling them, like application will always ask that HSM, give me the key, and then we'll encrypt. But that's availability problem, it's late, time, time latency. latency and all this. And then if that HSM is not as quick as applications today, which is almost never is, it just doesn't work, it breaks the system. Like it's Yeah, because one thing's hitting faster than the other, and then it's causing an error on the read. Yeah, and, and, and there is like, the applications on the cloud, they just restart themselves, right? Like they can restart themselves, and then if the HSM did right. not like make it to like did not restart at the same speed, it's basically the system is not coming up and it's unusable. So yeah, it's really it, it big grinds challenge. To a, it grinds to a halt. Yeah. So where do you see the the cryptographic space in terms of vulnerabilities? What do you see as the greatest vulnerability right now? Well, there is one that it's not right now, but everyone talks about right now, and that's quantum computers. Oh. So that was a big topic at RSA this year. RSA is the biggest security conference in San Francisco every April. And uh, that, was, uh, that was a big topic, like how far are we are from quantum computers? And what, like from a, one day to another, when those are operational and they usable, yeah. They can, you can basically like all. They can decrypt all the traffic backwards. That's why people are a bit uh, scared of uh, these nation-state actors. Because they can just actors. basically front-run everything. They can just decrypt all the already existing communication that they ever recorded. So, or ever. yeah. So if you, if you, if, let's say one nation-state. I don't think so. I, uh, the usable one now. There are some things in the lab, and they're very small, and doing some like qubits that are not specific to certain functions. Even the some Chinese researchers came a few months ago out and said we broke RSA encryption, and that was not really true. There were some 
under certain conditions, certain things theoretically would maybe possible, <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, but the computer strange. are still not not uh, not even close. And some people say it will take five years. The other one, that's like a scary one, right? The other one say at least 10 to 20 till we have something like that. Is it just a matter of speed? What's it? What's going to happen in the next five to 10 years that's going to advance enough to allow quantum computing? So they need, basically, quantum computers, they need a, kind of a training of, that in that specific task you're thinking. So they, they, I'm not an expert, so I cannot talk about details, but basically they work completely different than the, today's computers with zeros and ones, right? Oh, okay. and, and those qubits that they produce is like, work in, in more dimensions and if you have the right qubits in, in the right uh, setup, let's say, looking for the right thing, that they're very efficient. But they're not efficient in the same things that today's computers are and the computations being done. So yeah. it's, it's, it's basically a completely different game that if you're not in the space, it's, it's really difficult to comprehend what, how it works. I was listening a few times to experts and uh, if I'm honest, like, I'm pretty lost. Yeah. So, but uh, there are some basics that uh, can be understood, like completely different computation, and they need to be specialized for certain things to be, and then they get super efficient and super but fast. only and if they're programmed to be a certain task. Yes, like certain. this one thing. The certain type of tasks, certain right? Certain type of tasks. Yeah. So that, that's until they, that's why they say 10 to 20 years till you development that part that they train it. Yeah, that they have to develop for different types of tasks that they are able to to be able to use it a bit more widely, right? Not like just for certain condition yeah. prepared in the lab, right? And, of course. And that will take a time. So we'll something see. like in real life to, to do. Yeah. Because, well, I mean, if you think about it, just from a security standpoint, amongst countries, whoever does that first, that could be an interesting situation, huh? Yeah, and, and I think what, what I'm worried about that someone would do it yeah. before we figure we'll all know. Right, so someone yeah. will use it. So that happens often in security. If you figure out something out, some vulnerability, zero days, you try not to communicate them. You try to use them to your yeah. advantage, and then eventually that comes out and, and people know about it because some researchers find that vulnerability or even some um, exploitation of that vulnerability, right? There is some kind of attack, and then the people go and research how that happened, and then they figure out. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Then they figure out the, the guts of the whole thing. Yeah. And and so right now, big thing is uh, that every company should think of that has big, large amount of data. is so-called crypto agility. It's am I able when the, let's say tomorrow, quantum computing is, computer is available to switch to quantum safe algorithms because those exist right they're not as great today but they're being developed and how would somebody even know to get into that well i don't even know what that is so every when, when it's so far it will be all over the so all over yeah. the news so the, but the quantum agility means am i able to switch my uh um but how would separate? you switch your switch your data to accept so, using, so let's say you're using RSA 2048 uh, today for encryption of something, right? Mm -hmm. uh, asymmetric encryption, right? 
and if you if you use it today, um, you know that you're using those algorithms. So you not have to know, can I just replace them with something else? Doesn't matter what. Okay. Can I replace it with other algorithm? And if yes, then you will be also be able to replace it with quantum safe algorithm when it's a time for it. Okay. Okay. So it's a, a lot about dependencies so in the to, system. We just have India. to know what security protocol we're on to see if it's going to match up. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And, and are most and, widely acceptable. Yeah, and and the, the thing is, like normally, when you follow the the when you follow the um, recommendations of standardized standardization bodies like yeah. NIST or something, you're fine. Right. They're pretty fast on communicating, and when you follow their guidelines, so I can I can just recommend everyone dealing with these uh, topics to look at NIST uh, or ISO 27. That's the alpha right yeah, there. Th there. Th those those yeah. standards, security standards, and they they are working there. Before, historically, people don't like them because historically they were really slow in adapting things. But they understood that in today's time, adaptability is one of the and flexibility is one of the most uh, important virtues or capabilities to be able to react to the changes because no one can know what hey, is it five years is it ten years yeah. what's going to be tomorrow someone asked me lately like how do you see security in five years I'm like if you ask me for next year I might uh, give you the answers right and uh, yeah. three years is already really tough but five years in today's world is is long you long time you couldn't even so understand the advancement that could happen in five years yeah it's it's yeah. The, it's the changes the curve right is so steep right now so changes are happening so fast that so what do you now that because we're at vcon we're ready for the web3 conference what what is it about web3 that's in from a security perspective that excites you with blockchain if at all Exc define excitement is it just fun <laughs> is it just yeah. for fun yeah i mean i mean sec from security standpoint is some things, the mistakes we were doing in Web3, in Web2, we're still doing in Web3. Mm -hmm. So we can still work on the same stuff. So some some uh, good practices from Web2 apply still on Web3. Yes. Typically, people, when, you, when we look at the blockchain itself, it's very safe. People are doing a great job. Where mistakes okay. happen is when we're doing that connection on Web2 and Web3, or some bridges, like what, right? If you look at the incidents or uh, things happening on blockchain it's always almost without exceptions is one of the bridges between the chains it's not chain itself so the and what is the bridge bridges application someone found the vulnerability of the application and yeah. that's how they so and that's how they exploit that yeah. is they, they get you to engage to bridge it but it's actually bridging into like a wallet drainer or something like that yeah, and that uh, that's on the user level, right? When we connect uh, Web3 to Web2 web world, web websites, that's what you're talking about. And then yeah. there is even blockchain to blockchain bridges, right? You are bridging from trying to get from level one to level two blockchain. Yeah. And like how do you transfer in between or certain. So those are, um, those bridges, as, as I said, applications. And we come back to good practices and application development that we know, right? And that yeah, to that how works. to, you need to test, you need to think uh, critically, you need to do some kind of uh, vulnerability testing, um, 
threat modeling, we call that's like kind of where. So when I build something, I look at the model, at the application, and the environment, the system, whatever I'm dealing with, and I say, yeah. where could threats come from? And there are models for that that are very structured that you can go through, and it gives you Microsoft has one, some other, like some other models are around that help you, help, help you critically think about what you're building and where can that bad well, actor where come from and yep. what, what, yeah, so that's, I think Do that's... Do you ever see hackers become developers for the good guys? Yeah. All They're, the time? All the time, I don't know, but quite a few of them are like, for a while being on the dark side and black, and then they did change to white. Yeah. And Is that ever like a red flag? Would like a would a large company have a known black hat developer ever on their payroll? Do you think? I think in U.S. As far as I know, I'm not gonna name names, but there's quite a big and large ones that do that very aggressively, because I I know the big big companies that really go actively look for them and say instead of breaking my stuff, come help build. I'll pay you, and you you won't be. Right. On the bad side, you don't need to, you know. And then there and are activists and people, yeah. And and because they're, the thing is, one huge thing in security is diversity that people underestimate. So if you look at the hackerspace, they're so diverse from so many countries, men, women, older, younger. If you look at the classical company, like big company, and you look at security team, you will see no, mostly white dudes from, <laughs> or like, I don't know, maybe even yeah. from, from other countries, like also other countries, but they will be normally dudes between 25 and 35. And they, they think similarly. Yeah. And okay. when you have diversity, you find other angles, right, to things. So that's one thing discussed under security people that we should bring more diversity into defense as well. And another thing is, if you look at the companies, you're normally local, right? So you have these people, after COVID, COVID changed some things, right? But before, let's say before COVID, you had, if you're in New York, you have people living in New York, working in New York, thinking in New York, like everything is New York, right? Mm -hmm. And then you defend against attackers from all over the world. So, you so you, you're already, in the, yeah, and you're, you're, you're like in disadvantage already. Right. And, that changed a bit, so you can get like there are these uh, fully remote positions, but that's still we're really far in yeah, that. That's sense. a lot of trust with all that data and flying over other not non-intranets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Having that information just at anywhere is it's a vulnerability for sure. Uh, and that that's that's like people are not ready to send people home and say work with your own computer no. and just connect to our corporate network and bring all your viruses and your environment into yeah, our no corporate shit. network but they didn't have a choice because uh, if they don't connect they don't work and company stops yeah so no, that's I, I agree yeah so that's definitely, uh, that was a challenge for many companies, especially less digital, less advanced in the non-tech space, right? That was that was a big thing. And that's what, unfortunately, hackers are not sorry for people being hit by COVID. They're oh, just trying not. to yeah, yeah. use the situation use to, their, to advantage. their advantage. Well, I appreciate you jumping on the mics with me. This was a lot of fun. That was fun. Thank you. Thanks, Ron. Viva la Vicon. Yeah. Enjoy. See you soon.